0: Lord, we thank you for giving us this time to look at your word. We confess that we need you. We want to learn to think your thoughts after you more faithfully. So we pray that you would help us to that end now. Work in our hearts by your spirit, Lord. Draw us to yourself. Take away the things that would confuse us, uh, distractions. Uh, Help us, we pray, to uh, listen to your word in faith believing your promises and trusting you to shape us to be more like our Savior. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. True story and used with permission. Uh, One summer day, Christy told Piper that she'd come to know the Lord. She said, Jesus has saved me and he's given me joy that I have never before known. Piper replied, oh yeah, I know about that. And almost instantaneously, Christy burst into tears. She said, you mean you knew about new life in Christ and you didn't tell me? I've missed out on all this joy I could have had? Piper had not yet become a follower of Christ herself and so she really had nothing to share with Christie at that point but her words but Christie were Christie's words got Piper's attention she realized that she missed had missed something and uh, she recounts uh, before the end of the summer the Lord had saved me too Paul tells us, Romans chapter 10, verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a great promise. It's a thrill to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And Jesus is building his church. He's creating a whole new society of people who love him and are eager to serve him. How does he do it? He says he's doing it, how does he do it? How does he identify and save and collect? How does he um, find people with different backgrounds, ethnicities, languages, and unite them in love? How does he ever, ever gather them into local congregations? Well, the answer to that question is directly related to Christie's and Piper's experience years ago. We are looking now at Acts 16, the section John just read for us, if you can turn to it in your Bible. Acts 16, we're going to focus on verses 11 through 40. Now, Luke's aim in his whole book of Acts is to to trace a Holy Spirit-empowered advance of the gospel through normal people like you and me from Jerusalem all the way to the ends of the earth. It's it's an amazing vision. And Acts 16 is important because Luke gives more attention to this city and Paul's work here than to any other that Paul visits in his second or third missionary journeys. And it's especially striking because Paul spends so little time in Philippi. So how does Jesus start churches? Well, Luke gives us three interlocking uh, case studies, if you will, each with the same structure, prayer at the beginning, then the uh, presentation of the gospel, and then the results. And the key characters here are Lydia, slave girl, and a jailer. So let's look at Lydia first, verses 11 to 15. How the Lord build his church? Well, he leads us to serve in places we would never imagine. Paul and his friends are in Philippi because the Lord has given Paul a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, please come and help us. And Philippi, what do we know about that place? Well, it was on a river, a commercial center. Uh, It actually had a med school there and sent out doctors in that part of uh, Greece. And it was a place where people did a lot of worshiping except a plurality of gods. It was a pagan place. And so on a Sabbath day, Paul goes out to the river to see if he can find a place for prayer. It's one thing to be sent to a place, but we can be in a place all by ourselves, and so what the Lord does here is he creates a divine appointment. That's what the Lord does. He makes divine appointments so that we can talk with others about the gospel. Look at verse 14. Uh, one of the people that Paul encounters, one heard us was a woman named Lydia who was a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And the point that we want to underscore here is that sometimes when we share the gospel, the Lord gives us a receptive audience, and that was the case with Lydia. That term opened her heart. It is the case that Luke is a physician, but this is not an allusion to some kind of cardiac procedure. He's talking spiritually here. Salvation is all of God. He takes the initiative in saving people. No one can be saved unless the Lord does the saving. We need to say that to ourselves about a 100 times, lest we think, well, you know, if I do enough good things, somehow the Lord will smile on me. Of course he would let me into his heaven. Uh -uh. The Lord has to do the saving. He's the one that takes the initiative. So think about the way in which uh, this narrative develops up to this point. Before Paul and his team had arrived in Philippi, Lydia was called a God-fearer. That is to say, she had some spiritual sensitivity. But her heart was not opened. Listening to Paul, the Lord does something inside her, internal to her and as she listens then the Lord opens her heart think about her disposition she's spiritually sensitive but her heart isn't opened the Lord moves in her she listens and then her heart is opened what would you say about your heart when it comes to spiritual things Are you responsive? Or would you say, "Ah, I'm not so responsive? So, God takes the initiative in salvation. In addition to that, the Bible makes it very clear that the Lord does not work in a willy-nilly way when it comes to how people are saved from their sins. You know the word willy-nilly, it's a very technical term. It's it's not a scatter scatter approach. Uh, the lord uses means when he draws people to himself and paul explains that in second thessalonians god uses the means of his word coupled with the work of his spirit those two go together that's the ordinary thing that god does and so in second thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13 paul says god chose you to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit, and belief in the truth. Work of the Spirit, accompanied by the Word. And when it comes to starting a church, no matter where the Lord guides us, he also provides for us, verses 14 and 15. After Lydia was baptized, what do we read? Uh, She's baptized, her household is baptized, she urged us, saying... If you have judged me faithful, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Hospitality is one of the evidences of the work of the Spirit in a person's life. It's not the only one, but it is one. When we think about being hospitable, what goes into that? Well, being friendly to people. um, Welcoming others. uh, Sharing. Inviting them. So Lydia says, come stay with me. So what does Jesus do to start churches? Well, he guides us to serve in places we would never have imagined. Now let's look at the slave girl. Jesus enables us to care for people of power who oppose us. Jesus enables us to care for people of power who oppose us. Now, this slave girl is doubly bound. She's possessed by an evil spirit and she has owners who control her life. That's what the text says. And her thing, it's fortune-telling for a price. And we're also told there in verse 16 that she brought her owners much gain. Now, we are told... Uh, Here that she had a spirit of python, which takes us back to Greek mythology. Python was a snake that guarded Apollo's temple. And so she was demon-possessed, and it was thought that Python spoke through her. And because of the relationship to the spirit world, she could reveal the future for her clients. And so verse 17 now, she cries out, these men are servants of the Most High God. They proclaim to you the way of salvation. And then we're told in verse 18, she keeps doing this. She keeps following Paul and Silas and Timothy around and screaming, these are servants of the Most High God. And Paul is greatly annoyed, and we want to just pause here and ask, how come? Why would Paul be irritated? Looks like free advertising, right? Don't we want to promote the gospel wherever we can, however we can? But see, what's going on here is Satan is mounting an insidious attack. He's trying to form an alliance in people's minds between him and Christ, of course, for his own sinister ends. And so through the power of Christ, this slave girl is freed, verses 16 and following. Now, just skip down to verse 19. What happens is Paul says to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out that very hour. Talk about the power of Jesus. There it is. What a moment for her. She's restored. And we presume... She is given faith in Christ. God's power works a miracle for her. Here's an enslaved person. Paul looks upon her with compassion. Let's just, again, ask ourselves, what opportunity has the Lord given you to care for those that are enslaved? Well, so how does Jesus start churches? Well, first he guides us to serve in places where we had never imagined. And uh, next, he enables us to care for people of power who oppose us. There's one more part to this collage, and it's in verses 24 and following. Sometimes the Lord disrupts our lives and the the lives of those that he intends to save so we can serve them. Sometimes the Lord disrupts our lives and the lives of those he wants us to serve. He wants to save them, he disrupts things so that we can serve them. There were winds of opposition the slave girl seems to be undermining the missionary's ministry, and uh, somehow they're able to get beyond that with this exorcism, and now what happens? New winds of opposition attack. Paul and Silas pay dearly for freeing this slave girl. They're seized, they're dragged, they're stripped, they're falsely accused. And then what else do we read? The crowds, the rulers, the magistrates, the people in the marketplace, people with power, they have them beaten many times with rods. It's a little hard for me to understand exactly what a rod was, but one possible thing is it's like a a billy club or a small baseball bat. Just imagine being beaten. They're thrown in prison, held in the inner jail, feet in stocks. Now, let's think about what's going on in that culture. The slave owners and the town rulers act like this. We are the power people. We are the center of the world. Might, our might, makes right. You are Disposable. We're accountable to no one. And so let's just pause here again and think about it. The farther a society moves away from Christian thinking, the more prevalent this kind of behavior becomes. It's all around us. I turn on my phone this morning, and what pops out at me? A shooting in Baltimore. A couple people murdered and, what, 28 wounded or something like that? What's hope, what hope is there for people who live in a society that is marked by violence? Only one thing the spread of the gospel. Because that's the only thing that changes people. And it does it from the inside out. We can have more laws, more law enforcement, and that doesn't do anything to change the human heart. But the gospel does. Well, we'll come back to that in a little bit. Look at verses 25 to 27. Now, uh, Paul and Silas, they've been severely beaten. They're, They're in an inner prison, and... Uh, What are they doing there? Praying and singing. Would that be your first response? If you've been beaten to a pulp? And now there's an earthquake. The prison doors are open. Everyone's chains are loosed. In the middle of our dire straits, God interposes his providence so that the lost can be saved and incorporated into the life of his people. In the middle of our most dire circumstances, God interposes his providence because his truth is marching on. He has an objective. He's working toward the salvation of people that seem the most hopeless all around us. Now here's how it happened. Verse 27, the the jailer believes that the prisoners have escaped And this means that he's going to pay with his own life, and so he decides to end it all. Verse 28, though bloodied and bruised, Paul calls out in compassion. Don't harm yourself, we're all here. And verse 30, trembling, the jailer comes to Paul and Silas, and he says, what must I do to be saved? And the answer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved you and your household seems amazing this guy is a brute he's going to be saved just by believing in Jesus yes that's the power of the cross takes our worst sins buries them in the depths of the sea blots them out of the record puts them behind his back promises to remember them against us no more And so the thing that we want to see at this point is that sometimes when we're mistreated, the Lord uses that very abuse to humble abusers and to honor his own name. How so here? Well, the jailer is certainly humbled. Can you see it? He's humbled by the gospel. He asks, how can I be saved? Then he takes Paul and Silas into his own house and he washes their wounds. How humbling. And he's baptized along with his family. He submits himself. And he feeds Paul and Silas. And he rejoices with them as he believes the gospel. Now let's just pause for a moment here. As with Lydia... So here we find a reference to household baptisms. And let's just say it to ourselves. There is a lot of ink that's been spilled on that topic. For those that embrace believer's baptism, it's this idea. Uh, A person is baptized as, as an outward sign of an inward reality. And so the thinking would be, in this passage, well, everybody in those two families were old enough to make a credible profession of faith. Hence, they submit to baptism. There are others in the Christian community who would say, no, baptism is a, it's a sign of God's covenant with Abraham and with his descendants, And so Lydia and the jailer, as heads of their families, then it's only right that the sign of belonging to the Lord is passed on to them who are under Lydia's and the jailer's authority. They're the ones that are entitled to baptism. It's a sign of God's covenant. And you say to me, well, where are you on the subject? I lean in the direction of those that see this as a covenant right. Um, And if you'd like, I would love to talk to you about it. Well, the jailer is humbled by the gospel, but there's another kind of humbling that goes on here. Do you see it? Uh, It has to do with the town magistrates. Verse 35, the next day, they send the police and they say to the jailer, let those guys out of here. And Paul's not having it. They mistreat us, Roman citizens, and now they want us to secretly skid out of town? Not doing it. They want us to leave, let them come and ask us politely. So the magistrates are humbled, and we're told that in verse 39, they come to the prison, they apologize, they lead them out of the prison, and they ask them to leave the city. And then one more bit of humbling. Did you notice it in verse 40? Having left the prison, the missionary team takes their time. And where do they go? Well, they visit Lydia, and we're told that they spend some time there encouraging the brothers. And then they leave. And what would it look like for Paul to encourage newly saved people? My guess is he's opening the word of God to them and he's saying, we want to submit ourselves and so there's that humbling with this new group of believers in Philippi. They submit to the Lord's authority. So how does Jesus start churches? Well, he guides us to serve in places we never would have imagined. He enables us to care for people with power Who oppose us. And sometimes the Lord disrupts our lives and the lives of those he intends to save so that we can serve them. Now, what I'd like you to do is just step back from this uh, picture that we've looked at, just step back from it, and let's try to trace the development of the events. It it is so encouraging. First of all, we start with lone Lydia out at the riverbank. And the Lord gets her heart. And then Paul keeps going back to the riverbank, and there's the slave girl, unlikely person to include in any church group, right? Uh, One circumcision, uh, circumcision, one exorcism. Uh, Getting rid of one demon breaks everything loose. Suddenly, there's a cascading of events. Slave owners, magistrates, rulers, those in the marketplace, all of them suddenly are brought face-to-face with God doing something remarkable. There's a public beating and people being thrown into prison. And then there's an earthquake. And then there's a series of humblings. The jailer, his family, magistrates newly formed Christian community. And out of all that, a church. Who would have imagined that all of those events linked together would ever produce a church? Seems very strange, doesn't it? You say, what's the proof? Read the book of Philippians. That's the proof. And as you're reading the book of Philippians, read it through the eyes of this experience that we've just reviewed. So, what about this? as it relates to you today. Where do we live? No, no, I don't mean Berks County, I don't mean that. Where do we live in terms of history? We live between the death and resurrection of Christ and his second coming. And what is true for people who live in this period of time, whether we're talking about Philippi, and Paul, and Silas, and Timothy, whether we're talking about them or we're talking about us who live now in this year. Well, there's a commonality. If you are not yet a follower of Christ, humble yourself before him. The Lord is giving you this moment today. This is the time for you to respond to Paul as he says to the jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. This is a time not to be proud, but to be humble. That's the first thing. Living between these goal What's the next one? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, pray for our needy society and our needy world. Luke chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, but there's a problem. The laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest field. And one other point of application live in hope. Why? Luke is telling us about the advance of the gospel. Because of the movement of the Spirit from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, and the Lord isn't finished yet, so live in hope. The gospel is still on the move. And so be bold and seize opportunities to make Christ known. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all nations. Actually, all ethnic peoples is the word. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all the ethnicities of the world and then the end will come. Jesus is building his church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the vision that you give us here as to what you're up to. Pray that you would move in our hearts and draw us to yourself wherever we are on the path toward you today. We ask these mercies in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper now, and so if the elders would come up to the front, and I will come down to the front.